gather together and be thankful. Amen? Amen. Lots to be thankful for. You know, this world is a mess, but our God is still good. Amen? All the time, God is good. God is good all the time. Amen? Tonight, the city of the Levites. If you turn to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua 21 tonight. We're getting near the end. Uh, we got a couple more chapters here to where there are some things being described that uh, seem arduous to us, but there are some wonderful spiritual uh, principles in the chapter before us tonight here in chapter 21, though the center of the chapter uh, kind of contains a, a list, a long list of 48 cities, but uh, we've got some great things tonight for us. And so let's ask God to speak to us through His Word. Father, we are so grateful to even have a building to come to. God, that we have heat in here and warm clothes and God, you've given us coffee and fellowship and cars to get here. And Lord, even if we walked, we had legs to walk on. And so, Lord, as we begin to look forward to celebrating Thanksgiving, we pray that it wouldn't just be a once a year thing. We of all people have reason to be thankful. And tonight we're thankful for your word. And we pray that you would speak to us through it as we study it, Lord, as we journey along with the children of Israel through the story of this great leader, Joshua. God, would you speak to us by the power of your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so tonight we have the city of the Levites. And I'm going to let you know, uh, a lot of people are somewhat confused about Levites, so we're going to talk about those guys for a little bit of a time, a little bit of time tonight. It's important that you understand who they are, what they are, and what they did. Uh, because when you see that term come up, it is very specific in the Old Testament uh, about who the Levites were, and so we'll look at that in a moment. But the first thing that we see uh, tonight in this particular chapter as we... Yeah, there we go. It was a little slow. We see these common lands being divided up, and, and so the, the basically the, the leaders of the tribe of Levi asked for what was promised to them. And, and I want you to just think on that for a second, because it's important for you to recognize that as God's kids, you're also priests and kings of the kingdom. Um, ultimately, you're going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth. And so to some degree, when you see the, the phrase Levite, uh, you can almost insert your own name in there to some degree. Um, it's very specific with regard to those of us who happen to have a pastoral calling on our lives, but it's also specific to the body of Christ. And so when you see the phrase Levite, you also see what Levites should do. You see what priestly people should do. You see what the people of God should do. And that's not be afraid to ask God for what God promised. God's promised an awful lot of things to us as the body of Christ. Amen? And some Christians kind of walk in, in spiritual poverty because they're afraid to ask God for the things that God's promised to give them. Um, like peace, victory, uh, being, being overcomers in Him, uh, victory over sin. Think about some of the things that God's promised to do for you as, as a child of God. And then ask yourself, are you asking God to give you the things that He's promised? Because there does seem to be a direct correlation between us asking God to give us the things that He's promised and us getting those things. Now, they're promises irregardless, and God is true, but a lot of people fall in that James category of they have not because they ask not. Amen? Haven't even asked God. It's amazing to me how many people walk around with things going on in their life that they haven't actually asked God to either change or do something do something about that situation that's in their life. It's kind of, well, you know, well, it happens for other people, but not for me. 
And so, very first thing tonight, kind of set your mind in that place. And so the leaders uh, ask uh, for what was promised them, the Levites. And then the heads of the fathers of the houses of the Levites came near Eliezer, the priest. Now remember, the priestly tribe also of the Levitical order, this whole group There's kind of subgroups within the Levitical order, and they include the priest, the high priest, uh, the leaders of the Jewish people, the elders of the Jewish people. They're all, generally speaking, in that Levitical group, but there's a specific priest and a specific high priest. And he says to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers, the houses of the tribe of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses. Now, remember, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of your Bible, was God speaking primarily to and through Moses. Amen? So that's God's word that's being referred to there. So when you see it, we kind of look at it, well, the books of Moses, what is that? It was God's voice to them. It was how God spoke to them. The prophet Moses spoke to the children of Israel. And and so as God was speaking, he was speaking through Moses. So this is God's promises. These are not Moses' promises. They're God's promises. And whenever someone recounts to you those things which God has spoken, he's actually relaying to you God's promises, not his own promises or her own promises. You speak forth the word of God. You do not make up the Word of God. The Word of God is God's Word. You speak it forth. In other words, you put it out there as it it is. And so that's what's going on here. The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. And this seems to be kind of an odd, weird uh, situation. And it's like, "Mm, who really cares about the cities that the Levites are going to live in? And we'll get to that a little bit later tonight. But as you look at this, They're asking for something that I think all of us can identify with. Uh, We call it the provision for our own home. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but I've learned as I've gotten older and walked with the Lord for a long time, I need to be engaged in asking God for the things that I have need of. Not that he doesn't know what those things are, but much like a child asking father for something that they have need of, so the Lord likes to hear from his kids. He likes for us to to know ourselves and thereby inquire of him that he is actually the one responsible for providing all that we have. And so here is a promise made to the Levitical order, those who would be the bearers of the word of God, uh, has been made to them, but they still have to ask. And here's the picture. Pastors are under the same power that the people in the pews are under. Amen? I have to ask God for my daily provision like you have to ask God for your daily provision. There's no special provision for me in that sense as a pastor or someone who tries to rightly divide the word of truth for you. I still have to ask too. The same God, the same Lord is Lord over all. Amen? I don't have special privilege in that regard. And so they're asking for the very same things that the people would have asked for, except they're going to get it provided in a little bit different way. And so need some cities to dwell in, need some livestock, need to be able to eat, place to live. And so the children of Israel gave the Levites from their inheritance. And that's an important picture here. And it is the distinction, it is the difference between basically the people who are involved in full-time ministry and people who are are supporting that full-time ministry. 
Those who labor in the word are supposed to be taken care of by the people who minister to them, or they minister to, rather. So a pastor normally is provided for by the flock that he ministers to, and that's an Old Testament uh, way of living that's been carried on all the way through the New Testament, and it carried on into the book of Acts. The very same thing still exists to this day. And so here they're asking for those things. In other words, this guy who's going to minister in the word needs a house to live in, and needs a place at that point in time to put his cows so he'd have the same things everybody else has called food. We kind of all need those things. And at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. And so there's an inheritance there. It comes from the rest of the tribes to those who are ministering in the word, the Levites. And notice that the Levites received no province. They didn't actually get a land. Everybody else got a land. They got a place. But here you see the difference and you see the distinction, and it's a very important one. The Levites, those who tended to the things of God, and we're going to get to more specifically those things in a moment, but the Levites who tended to the things of God had a portion of every place. They weren't confined to one specific city. They weren't confined to one specific area. The Levites were supposed to be everywhere with everyone. And it's a picture of how the church still functions to this day. Those who minister the word are supposed to be everywhere, uh, not in a singular place, but scattered throughout uh, all of the rest of the world. And it's extremely important. So who were these guys, uh, the Levites, as we kind of look at them? They were actually the lowest order uh, of the three orders of the priesthood of Israel. And so when you think of them, uh, you can kind of think of the, of the high priest, those attending in the temple, and then the general Levites. And so when you think of the general Levites, this is, this is kind of like the common guy. So if there's, if there's like a Billy Graham and a Chuck Smith, and then down underneath that there's a Jeff Gill someplace. It's kind of like the, the common folks, somebody who's down in the trenches with the rest of the folks. Okay, that's who the Levites generally were. They were actually with the people. They were the rulers in the local synagogues. And we're going to give you a few more things that you can look at. Um, the temple personnel were drawn from the firstborn of every family. And so they could be from any tribe. But God would choose out of the Levitical tribe one to carry out all of the major responsibilities. So the tribe of Levi uh, was appointed uh, specifically to that thing. Because when you look back, if you remember when they were wandering in the wilderness... You remember what happened there. There was that little incident where Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments of God. Uh, he's protected in the cleft of the rock. The glory of God shines upon him. He sees God's shadow. He comes down. Uh, there's kind of a little bit of an issue at the bottom of the mountain. You remember the story? Moses has been gone for a little bit of time, 40 days. He's up there with God, hearing from the Lord. He comes back with some stone tablets. And what are the people doing? In 40 days, they have walked away from the Lord. All but one tribe. Do you remember which tribe it was? It was the Levites. So the Levites of the family of Aaron, specifically the Aaronic Levites, uh, those people were the ones that said, hey, we can't do this thing. We're going to honor the Lord. So of the 12 tribes, they were the ones that proved themselves in the wilderness when everybody else was doing the wrong thing, that they would do the right thing. And so you can kind of get a picture Pastors are held to a higher accountability, a higher standard, if you will. It's, look, it doesn't matter that everybody else is going the other way, kind of like our world right now, amen? A pastor is supposed to be one who proclaims the truth of God. And so even when the people are doing dumb things, even when they're following after some leader who's going the wrong way, 
those who have that particular task to share the word of God are supposed to remain true to the Lord. And so that was the Levitical order. And so the Levites uh, did that. Uh, the tithe portion of the rest of the nation went to the Levites to provide for their needs. Uh, you can see that in Numbers chapter 18. And, and since they were dependent upon that generosity, they were supposed to share that generosity. An interesting thing that you look back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 12, uh, chapter 16, prominently. But when you look at those chapters and kind of what they did, it was the Levites that took care of the widows, took care of the orphans, took care of those who were homeless. It was the church that did that. And we wonder in our world today why the world is so messed up because we've created these huge social systems that are now attached to the government in God's very specific view that was something that was supposed to be done by the church because the church does it for the right reason. The church has the person's life in view. They're trying to help the individual. They're not trying to keep a job or figure out how to spend someone else's money. They're taking of what was given, the Levites did, and they're giving it back out. So it keeps this process in view. It shows how God is good. And so those things went forth because the Levites took what was given to them and freely gave. Now we have the exact opposite in our world today. We have people dependent upon the government, and the government isn't given anything. The government takes things. They abscond with other people's money. That's basically what the government does. And they use it for all kinds of foolish things, and then they create a gigantic bureaucracy, and then that gigantic bureaucracy, which does nothing efficiently, uh, then tries to help other people out. Well, they don't look after the soul of that person. They're only looking after the dollars and cents and in essence, their own necks for the most part. So from a biblical standpoint, the church has always been charged with taking care of the less fortunate in the world. And the church actually does a very good job of that, and it does it for a much lower cost than any government on earth does. And if you look at the world today, if you travel around much, there's going to be something you'll figure out very quickly, that for the most part, the very best of all of the things that are done in the world to take care of the needy are all done by the church. There's virtually no... Look at the World Health Organization. You want to see a fiasco. They will fly over an area, drop pallets of food that the people don't even know how to cook or eat. Literally. They'll just drop these pallets of food out. They don't have the cooking utensils. They do not have the wherewithal. And they do not have water to actually even prepare the meals in. Whereas the church comes in, sets up a church, sets up an orphanage, brings the children in, ministers to their needs, and actually feeds them meals that they're used to eating. One of the most common causes of death in third world countries is dehydration from diarrhea because they don't have clean water and they're eating food they're not used to because it's prepared by the World Health Organization and gives them stuff that they can't digest. And so it's kind of a picture of how the, the world is supposed to actually look. And if the church fully got engaged in doing exactly what we're supposed to do, we probably wouldn't have some of the, the bigger churches that we have, but we'd be able to feed an awful lot of people. And so these are pictures of the things the Levitical order did. It also points uh, at that point to the total dedication because they were separated out from three specific families, Gershon, Koloth, and Merai. And those three families uh, kind of took up this mantle. And, and as you see these guys, what's really interesting about the Levites is they, they weren't like just in Judah or they weren't just in Benjamin or in Dan or Naphtali. They were scattered out in every single tribe. There were some Levites in all of them. 
And so it kind of gives you a sense of how we are supposed to see uh, those, those Levitical duties, if you will, uh, done everywhere all the time. Uh, during the wilderness wanderings, they were the ones responsible for the tabernacle. Uh, they, they were the ones that actually set it up. They were the ones that took it down. They were the ones that made sure all the parts were there. And wherever it went from place to one place to another, they were the ones that actually carried it. They physically picked up the tent of meeting and all the accoutrements. Uh, and they traveled along with the Ark of the Covenant. And they're the ones that got it from place to place. So you can kind of see how it was the, those who labored in the word who were responsible of taking the word and the presence of God to the next place that the people went. That's what church is for. That's actually what the church's duty is. It's to take the Word of God to any location and then set up the Word of God and set up the presence of God, a place for people to come and meet and gather together with God to get to know God and hear from God's Word. That's what the Levites did. And so they were very consecrated to the Lord in that. They, they assisted the priests, if you will, uh, a higher ranking, if you will, of the Levites, uh, in, that, in those duties. During Jehoshaphat's time, uh, Levites were involved in basically in just teaching. And so as this kind of progressed and as they gathered into the promised land and they began to take the land, the Levites' duties kind of got condensed down. And this is so important to us because when, when you sit there and you, you think about, okay, well, what's the real duty of someone who's involved in full-time ministry because these guys were kind of the the closest thing that we could call full-time ministry. They didn't just go teach someplace. They didn't just go preach someplace. They were with the people. They were responsible for church, and and they taught the Word of God. And so that's why Dr. Bramson calls me a Levite. I go to his office. I go see him for something. I'll walk in. He goes, oh, how you doing, Levite? And I go, what do you mean, Levites? Well, you teach the Word of God, don't you? Yeah, I teach the Word of God. Well, you're a fellow Levite then. I said, all right, Levite. You know, we go back and forth and call each other Levite. And then then we argue over who's going to pay for my medical service. He says, hey, I can't charge you, sorry, because you're a Levite. You're supposed to live off the rest of us. And then I write him a check. Well, you're a Levite, so i got to pay you. And it goes back and forth for about 15 minutes, and usually something happens, and I end up taking him to lunch or something. But that's the way it works. If the world functioned like that, it would be a much more pleasant place to be, I can tell you that. You know, if God's people actually lived the way God intended us to live, and we really truly bared and shared in one of those burdens across the board, and I mean across the board, to where people just saw someone in need, and they didn't harden their heart against them, and they said, you know, how can I help? Uh, there will be plenty for everybody because that's the way God set it up. Intentionally, he set it up that way. And so for all of us, really, you can look at a lot of the things they did. They purified the instruments of the temple. They were they were actually the worship team during that time. The Levites actually were the worship team as well. Uh, they led the people in singing songs. They led in the reading aloud of God's word. They they read, they led in the praise of God as Levites. And you can read First and Second Chronicles, give this very distinctly. Um, they were in charge of actually the temple proper itself, all of the temple grounds, so everything, all of the various courts, the courts of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of praise, the court of sacrifice. They were the ones that handled all that. So you can kind of see how in our time all those things have kind of been lumped together in church. Amen? This is where we give our sacrifices of praise. This is, this is where we offer up our offering. This is where we teach the word. This is where we worship God. All those things were handled by the Levites 
And so really it was, it was the pastors, if you will, at the time very specifically. But most importantly, and I think this is where you all need to see this uh, from a very specific uh, a point of view, is you guys are actually of that order to a certain degree as well. As the body of Christ, you have the capacity also to share the word of God with the world. And you may not do that the way I do that. You may not do that like we do in Sunday school. But you're living, breathing opportunities for someone to meet Jesus. And in doing so, the way you get that standard is through what God has spoken to you by his word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen? So as you learn the word of God, and then you live, live the word of God in this dead and dying world, you know, this world that's a mess. I mean, look at what's going on in Israel right now. I don't know how much time we have, but it's not long. Uh, the way things are going, the, it, this, 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 the seams are coming unstitched. Any of you ever have old clothes that you really like? And and you put them on and you wear those clothes and then you finally look at them like every seam on those. Rick and I were talking about flannels today at dinner. We were, we were talking. We were sitting at opposite tables talking about our favorite flannel. How you can't get good ones anymore. That's because these things are so thin. If you kind of stretch in them, the seams pop out and everything. The the world's like that. It's coming unstitched. I mean, the fabric's worn out. The wine skin is really old, and there's not much new wine can go in it. And so. It's a real good time for us to be really busy about our Father's business because I don't know how much time we have. The way things are going, um, we could have some crazy stuff going on in the Middle East at any time. And so here we have these cities appointed to the Levites. And I want you to see uh, some very specific things. We as the church and you as God's people should be sprinkled throughout the entire world. Amen? When you think about your calling, you know, I have been sprinkled. Let's say let's say I've been sprinkled here in Running Springs in this pulpit, this church. But you've been sprinkled in your neighborhood and your job and with your children. And your children will be sprinkled with somebody else's kids at school. You, you get the picture? You see how this whole thing works? It's like if we each take that task very seriously that you are the representation of the Lord. You're a living, breathing organism. You are a living stone, is what Scripture says. You're, you're cut out of the, the rock who is Christ, and you're placed all over the world as God's people. Then what happens is, we as the church, and me specifically as a pastor, the more out and about we are, the more people have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Amen? But but if we gather together in this kind of this like social club to where we just all hang out with each other, very few people actually hear about the Lord. We tell each other about the Lord, but new people, lost people, don't hear about the Lord. A little more on that a little bit later. And so here are these cities that have been appointed by the Levites according to their three main family divisions. And I'm going to go through the first uh, probably ten verses here, and you're going to see a very common theme and there's just going to be a naming of a whole boatload of cities, which we will skip that part. And now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites and the children of Aaron of the high priest, who were the Levites. And so these are the Levitical order. These are the children of Aaron. And they had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah and from the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Benjamin. And the rest of the children of Kolath had 10 cities by the lot from the families of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. So those are the ones that are on the opposite side of the Jordan River, on the eastern side. 
The children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot, from the families of the tribe of Ishakar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. And the children of Marai, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Zebulon. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands. And common lands were much like we have in our, in our world today. If you know anything about our country, we have a, we have a division actually kind of, of, of the, of the U.S. Forest Service called the Bureau of Land Management. They're kind of, they kind of work together. Bureau of Land Management kind of handles all these odd properties all over the place. They're not necessarily a really nice forest, but like you go out into the foothills out in the desert areas, you're going to find BLM land out there. That BLM land can have grazing cattle on it. And it can have all kinds of things going on out there. And this was kind of like that kind of land. It was like common land. It was owned by the people. And that common land was then allowed to have the animals of the Levites grazing on it. So it wasn't somebody specifically. It was the common lands of that particular tribe. And so it was, it was kind of like a, a communal area to where the Levites would have an opportunity to do what other people did with their own land. They did with the land that belonged to everybody. And so it's kind of like having grazing rights in our modern day and time. And so it goes on to say they had those things by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And so when Moses in the book of Deuteronomy uh, laid out these things, when he then in the book of Numbers defined them, and remember that the book of Deuteronomy is kind of like the law expanded. So you have this expansion of all of the things, kind of some more details added to it. When you get to the book of Numbers, it's kind of, okay, so-and-so got this many of those things. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's who it happens with. And here's all these things and how they how they worked out in a practical sense. And so you can take those things that were done through the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, kind of extrapolated on in Deuteronomy, and then given out in the book of Numbers, and that's kind of what these things are, are, are that are going on now. This is, we're actually making it happen. This is the, when the rubber meets the road. And so he said they gave those to the tribe of Judah from the tribe of the children of Simeon, and these cities which are designated by name, which are the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites, who were with the children of Levi, for their lot was first, and they gave them uh, Kirjath Arba. Now remember, Arba is the father of Anak, so this is a land of giants. So it's interesting to me that the most difficult land to conquer is the land that they gave out first to the Levites. It's like, okay, there's some bad dudes over there. Go conquer them first. Go, they need the gospel bad. So you don't want to skip the places that have some folks that are a little, you know, kind of surly, a little burly. They're, they're not, you know, maybe they're not quite as easy to, to preach the gospel to, but here they're kind of the first group that gets ministered to. It's like, okay, lot falls on you. You get Kirjath Arba. That's the land of Anak and the giants. Okay, go over there and minister to them. And so you're going to see that there's going to be a repeating theme here. And I want to just take a few more verses, and then I'm just going to tell you, you're going to find the other 48 cities the rest here. If you notice, they had 13 cities um, by lot from the tribe of Judah, 10 cities from Ephraim, 13 cities from Ishakar and that group, and then 12 more cities, that makes 48 cities. And so they're then going to go on and name all 48 cities. You guys don't need a Hebrew pronunciation lesson, so we're going to skip that part of it. It says, But the fields and the cities of the villages which they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephthunah, as his possession. And so that's where Kirjath Arba was. Remember, Caleb says, Hey, give me a mountain. Give me giants. Give me, you know, I wanna, I'm going to go take some new ground. 
So the first place the Levites go is with Caleb, basically, to his city. And thus the children of Aaron of the priests gave Hebron with its common land, and that was also a city of refuge, remember, and then Libna with its common land, and Jatir with its common land, and Esthamoa with its common land, and Holon and its common land, and Debir and its common land, and Aen and its common land, and Jutta with its common land, and Beth Shemesh with its common land, nine cities from those two tribes and from the tribe of Benjamin and Gibeon with its common land. And so it just goes on like this for the whole rest of the the chapter, save the last three or four verses. And that's actually what I want to focus in on. By the time you get down to the end of this portion, you're going to find all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands, and every one of these cities had its common lands surrounding it, and thus were all the cities. So there was no differentiation, and that's the important thing to see here, between any tribe. Every tribe got the word. Every tribe got pastoral care. Every tribe had that in in great multitude. If you think about the land of Israel and you think about 48 cities being assigned, you know, kind of like a head pastor, if you will, if you want to look at it that way, someone to minister in the local synagogue and that person to raise up somebody else, it would take a very short period of time for everybody to be in walking distance to a church. It's kind of the way God has worked throughout all of history and time. He prepares a man and then he gives them a mission, and then that mission produces another man, and it produces a mission, and it can be women too as well, I'm not speaking as man, I'm speaking as humankind. But it, it, it is very much that the Lord simply anoints people, appoints people, uses people, and those people raise up more people to be anointed and appointed, and they go out and do another work. That's how the body of Christ is supposed to grow. That's how God's kingdom grew, even during the time of the Israelites uh, in the land of Canaan. And so God wanted them to be scattered all over the place, and that's that's what you get from these chapters. And, and I think there's an important point here, that, that um, isolation, insulation, you know, when we get isolated amongst ourselves, when we get insulated to ourselves, in other words, if we, we say we need to be over here and we just want to be together, those two things together, it, it leads to us getting stagnation, being stagnant. We, we stop doing new things. We stop going new places. We, we lose vision. We, we all of a sudden find out, you know, yeah, I've been teaching that same Sunday school class for 15 years. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But very often we lose, we start to lose the zeal. And it just becomes like everything else that we do in life. It's just like, oh, I'm going to go do that again. And we don't look forward with joy and anticipation to the things that God's doing. And so the Lord kind of does this. He takes us and he sprinkles us over here. And then we grow there. And then those people go out and they get sprinkled over here and they grow there. And then they grow up some more people and they sprinkle some more people out and they go over here and they grow. And then they spring and the process just goes on infinitely. And if you look at the missionary movement, uh, whether it be in England or here in the United States, if, if you take the last several hundred years and you look at how the body of Christ is, is branched out, you can see just a handful of amazing lives that were used to plant huge numbers of churches. Hudson Taylor, the China Inland Mission, you look at the things that, that are still ongoing through the life of one guy, Hudson Taylor. If, if you look at uh, how the church spread in Europe, 
um, through the life of just a handful of people. Luther, Calvin, Knox. You, you look at these guys that just had the, the boldness to say, look, let, let's just teach people what God's Word says. Let's send them out and let's make sure that they go duplicate the process. God's Word gets around very quickly because it's truth. You're just teaching the truth. You're not sitting there trying to make up your own new version of something. You're simply finding a way to, in a culturally relevant way, say what God has already said. That's what we try and do here. Just try and bring God's Word to a place that where, in the year 2014, we can all kind of understand what God was getting at, even though these words were written about 3,500 years ago. Okay, this is, this is an old accounting here. And so the church needs to, to be out as living stones, God's house. You know, as Peter said, we, we come to the Lord as a living stone. We are rejected by men, amen? Any of you guys had any rejection from people because you love the Lord? I have. I have people that don't want to be anywhere near me, including members of my own family. I have members of my own family that do not want to be anywhere near me. Uh, you're just going to talk about the Jesus guy again. Yep, that's who I am. That's what I do. But I'm a living stone, so if I go someplace, I can create other living stones because the stone's alive. And so as we create living stones, then all of a sudden we get built up into this holy priesthood, and then we offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to the Lord. That's what Peter said. He said, so, so me as a living stone, I go create more living stones, and then some of you guys are those living stones, and you go create some more living stones, and we build the Lord's kingdom that way. That's how it gets built up. That's what he did with the children of Israel. That's what he's doing with us. And so you need to take that, that task very seriously in that sense. You know, we need to get out and about. And, and let me just say this, and, and I want to be really, really careful to not uh, make you think the wrong thing. But we're not supposed to just sit behind our own little protected walls of our church. We are not. Uh, we're, we're not just supposed to be a Christian social club. We're, we're not supposed to just gather together in our own homes and try and protect ourselves from the influence of the outside world. That is absolutely contrary to the mission of the gospel. I know maybe some of you kind of find that a little bit a little bit harsh, but I am telling you that Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. Okay, not to simply build up that which is found. And a lot of the church has taken on the task, much like sometimes our nation does, of becoming so isolationist that we don't want to get dirty. And so we don't go anyplace where we might possibly get a little mud on us. The problem with that thinking is you also don't find anybody who's lost. You are not sharing the gospel. You're not out causing people to come to the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're just simply building up other believers, and then they replicate what you have shown them, which is you don't get out much. We need to get out more. I believe the church has, to some degree, failed in that regard in the last 50 years. We kind of sit around and we're, we're a little bit too worried about, you know, well, somebody might see us with so-and-so. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners, prostitutes, amen? Now, I'm not suggesting you need to go to the local bar or go to some, you know, evil place in Vegas and hunt up the most vile people you can find. But I am saying that you shouldn't be afraid to have unsaved friends come over to your house. And if those unsaved friends happen to come over and they've had a couple of beers, nobody's going to think that you're going to hell because somebody that came to your house had a couple of beers, okay? 
I'm not telling you to have a couple of beers. I'm saying if one of your friends come over to your house that you know, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and, you know, they, they just minister Christ to them. You're going to have the same thing in your family. It's okay. Jesus hung around with people that were not saved. And we need to hang around people who aren't saved. We need to get out more. Now, having said that, notice not once did I tell you to go do what they're doing. Notice not once did I tell you to go be what they are being. I did not lower the standard and say you need to be like them in order to preach to them or to to minister to them. What I said was you simply need to be available to be where they are so that you can minister to them, not so that they can change you. Very different position. Make sure to understand the distinction that I'm making there because that's the scriptural distinction. We are not to engage in sinful behavior. Matter of fact, we're to be so distinct and set apart that people know exactly who we are and what we stand for, but that doesn't mean that we can't go where people who don't know Jesus are. You know, you go to a, you go to a football game, you go to a basketball game, you go, go to rim, go to rim on Friday night lights, amen? People are going to be cussing all around you. You don't need to leave just simply because there are some people that are using words that you don't want to hear. But what you can do is, you know, I, I love the Lord and you using his name in vain is kind of offensive to me. Could we maybe, you'd be surprised how many people will look you in the eye and go, I'm sorry. And you will have stood for the Lord. You will have let them know that there are people in this world who take their relationship with Christ seriously. And you can do that everywhere. Don't be afraid to go maybe get a little dirt on your shoes. Amen? Okay, good. Just wanted to make sure. Wasn't sure there for a moment. Kind of you guys are nodding off when it was late or what. You'll also notice that it was the priests that received their cities last. It's a good thing because Jesus absolutely said that he didn't come into this world to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen? So, so we who are in ministry need to, need to do that. We need to think of ourselves last. And say, look, it's, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. It is a privilege for, for me to be able to do what I do. And so we don't ever want to take that for granted. And we want to be an example to other people. Uh, you know, it, it's, and you guys have probably already all been around it. You know, you get around that person, it's just like, wow, you really don't see a whole lot of Jesus in them. You kind of see more of the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be different from the world. And the best way to do that is to think other people first. Because the world thinks of themselves first. Amen? If you think of other people first, you're going to shock about 99% of people. They're going to like, what's wrong with you? Well, I happen to believe that the Lord says I'm supposed to be a servant. And so serve. And so finally we get down to a handful of these last things. And the rest of the chapter kind of gives us a, a, a picture of this possession of the land that God has given to them. And as he does this, uh, there's some very, very key things that we need to see here uh, in these remaining couple of verses. And so the Lord gave to Israel. How did they get the land? God gave them the land. They didn't win it. They didn't buy it. They didn't barter for it. It wasn't theirs because of sweat and blood. It wasn't sweat equity. It wasn't, you know, hey, we're really good, so God has. God gave them a gift. 
Your inheritance that you get through Christ Jesus is a gift. Amen? It is directly God's goodness. It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his forgiveness. It's not because you finally got super righteous. You're all of a sudden worthy of God's attention. And, you know, God just has to then bless you. It's because he likes to give good gifts to his kids. And that's it. And so the Lord gave the land Israel, all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. Now notice whose land it was supposed to be the first time. Remember what happened to that group at Kadesh Barnea 40 years earlier. The fathers looked in and they said, nah, we're not willing to fight for it. We think it's just too big of a risk to go in there as giants in the land. So they all died in the wilderness. God actually promised them that land. So the only way God could keep that promise was to give it to their the generations that followed after him. God is faithful to his promises, even if you don't fulfill your part. That's why the New Testament tells us, the book of Hebrews says, the book of Timothy says, he is faithful when we are faithless. Amen? God remains faithful 100% of the time, even if you don't keep your end of the bargain. But he may give that blessing to a future generation because you didn't want it. I didn't want it. And so they took possession of it and dwelt in it. All the tribes had their land. They had to go to the full extent of all the lands that God gave them. They had to take full possession of it. God provided everything that was necessary for them to do that. If they needed strength, they had strength. If they if they needed power, they had power. If they needed to be warriors, he sent warriors. God knows how to distribute the gifts amongst the people. And so he did that for them. Wherever they went, they took possession of what God gave them. Wherever we go. We are supposed to take possession of what God has given us. Very often, people, I, Christians miss out a lot, I think, because they're unwilling to go and take possession of what God has given us. We kind of sit back and go, oh, you know, I really don't want to do that. You know, I kind of want to hang on to my stuff. And here we see, finally, finally, the blessing of obedience. So, we hear you, God. We're going to go do it. You said it. It's good enough for me. Notice the rest uh, in the land that is Israel's given to him by God, verse 44 here in chapter 21. The, this, the Lord gave them rest all around. When you take what God has given you, not when you go take what you want, because if you take what you want, guess who gets to maintain it? You do. If you go get something that's not for you, you have to fight to retain that which you fought to gain. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have to fight to retain that which you fought to gain. If you go after something that God does not want for you, and that could be money, that can be power, that could be position, that can be maybe a marriage, that can be all kinds of stuff. If you go after something that God does not want for you, you may get it, but you will also have to maintain it. And that's why you see people who are so miserable who have all kinds of money. You, have, you see people who are completely miserable who have huge houses. You find people who have the greatest jobs in the world and they can't stand to go there for two seconds of any day because they have gotten something in their life that is actually not from God. It's their own doing. Maybe it was by sheer force of will or effort. They, they've gone in and they've taken something that God never intended for them and now they have to maintain it. And they're miserable maintaining it. Notice the result of walking in obedience to the Lord. Notice the result of walking in obedience to the Lord. It's rest. It's not stress. It's being blessed, not stressed. 
When you're stressed, you're not blessed, and vice versa is true also. It's very hard for you to be blessed and to see the blessings of the Lord when you walk in that stressed out, you know, oh, I can't believe it, you know, I just got to go do this, I got to maintain this. And, and family, God, let me share something a little bit about Pastor Jeff. I'm prone to that. I, I am prone to try, you know, I just, you know, I just fight through it and I'll just go do it. And what I usually lose is that rest. And what comes with rest? Peace. And so the peace of God you don't have, and the rest of God you don't have, you're just sitting there agonizing over everything all day, every day. And notice what it actually says, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. Did they fight to keep it? No. They went in and rested in the land. God fought the battle for them. They had the battle to get there in, in a sense that God had sent them in to do some stuff ahead of time. But once they got there, they got to enjoy the blessing of what God delivered into their hands. And so it's kind of a picture of how we ought to live our lives in Christ. Very often it, it's like you see people who just struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and, fight and they never enjoy anything. There's no blessing in their life. It's just like they're always in an uproar. They're always stirred up. They're always looking for the, you know, the next demon around every corner. And they're, they're wandering around just in misery. And I can almost always tell when someone's in a place that they're not supposed to be because they do not have rest and they do not have peace. It's just, ah! <gasps> Gotta do this, we gotta do that. And, and and it says that not a man of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. You, you see, when you do God's things God's way, His will, His way. When you do that, then you can rest from your labors and from your battles. But if you go do it your way, you're gonna keep battling until the Lord takes you off this rock. That's the way it's gonna work. And so judge where you're at in your own life by the rest and the peace that you have. Now, does that mean that you're, every day just, you're going to get up and you know little birdies like in a Disney movie are going to fly and bring you pie in the morning in some little basket and put it on your pillow and you know, you're never going to have to sweat ever again. You won't even need deodorant. You'll be so, you know, I'm just going to lay here all day and you know, God's going to bring me blessing. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, is every day is not going to be an agonizing fight to just survive in the sense that, that you have to go just battle, 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 and then get up and battle, 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 battle. When you have battled God's way, there's rest from your labor. And eventually the Lord puts you into that place of rest and allows you that, that wonderful peace, the peace that only He can give. Amen? He gave them rest all around. They got to stop. They had not celebrated a Passover in 40 years. And they get to celebrate a Passover. They had strove. They had desired the wrong things. They had wandered in the wilderness. They had not seen the rest of God in 40 years. And now they're resting because they were obedient. Because they took the land that God gave them. They didn't try and take the land that somebody else was supposed to have. They weren't jockeying for position. They said, God, if this is what you want for me, this is what I want for me. That's a great life plan, by the way. Want for yourself what God wants for you. 
It's a, it's a sure path to bliss, okay? Because if you don't want what God wants, you're going to have headaches. And if you want something that he doesn't want, you're going to have a, a whole bunch of strife. So you, you have to be on his plan. His plan is the one that works 100% of the time. Your plan is the one that works occasionally if the stars align properly. Okay, if Pluto's not out of orbit somewhere. Okay. They'll eat reclining at rest, exactly as the picture is in John's Gospel. Remember there in John 13, they, they ate the Passover reclining. They were at rest. And remember, the Passover was a celebration of deliverance, amen? From all the things that the, the enemy had tried to do to them. And they're, finally, and they're now celebrating that at rest. They're not sitting there saying, oh, okay, when's the next battle going to happen? They're actually reclining on the couches going, man, isn't God good? That's what I want. I'm kind of tired of fighting. I'm getting old. It's like, I don't want to fight anymore. And then finally, not a single word from God fails. And I love this promise. Listen to this promise. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Anybody want that in their life? Now, that's my, that could be my life verse right there. Not one word that the Lord has spoken will fail, and all the good things that he has spoken to us will come to pass. You, you see, that's, I think, what most Christians should want. I think that's what the, the children of Israel wanted. They wanted the good things that God had promised them. We should want the good things that God has promised and, and really a step towards that is just simply letting God give us what he wants and us asking for the things that he wants and then doing what he says to get there. It's not that complex. Sometimes we make it a lot more complex than it really is. Any failure to fully possess was not because God hadn't made adequate provision, but because they had forgotten to follow the Lord. The Lord had made plenty of provision for them. They could have gone in 40 years earlier. All those people that died in the wilderness could have died in the land of promise. But they didn't want to listen to God. You don't want to wander in the wilderness, and you don't want to die in the wilderness. You want to go into the lands of promise. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me, for my family. And so God will be faithful. He'll provide. And so when you think of these things, think about the things that God has given you. Think about the things that God has given you in light of the cross. Isn't it true that the enemy has no, no right to dwell in your house? Amen? No right to dwell in your house. He has made you more than conquerors. That's his promise to you. The enemy has no right to dwell in your house. Unless you invite the enemy into your house, the enemy has no right to dwell in your house. Period. And again, are we going to get attacked? Sure. But dwell there? Set up shop? Stay there? Mm-mm. It's not true that Satan can claim your life because his life was taken from him at Calvary. Satan's a dead man. He's a walking dead man. Amen? His, his time is short. His destiny is sealed. He can't. You have eternal life from God the Father through Jesus the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Satan cannot take that from you. That's a promise. You rest in it. Satan has no right to have a foothold even in your life unless you give it to him. You have to give him a foothold. Make no provision for the enemy, is how James put it. Amen? 
Nothing. Because he can't get a foothold in, his li- in your life unless you give it to him. Because greater is he who's in you than he is in this world. You see the promises? Not one thing that the Lord promised did not come true. Not one thing. By virtue of the blood, the resurrection, Jesus has utterly defeated your enemy. Amen? That's a promise. You're not wandering around beat up and a loser. You're actually a winner who might be going through a little bit of a a struggle, a trial, if you will. But you're still a winner. You need to live like that. Stop living like a pauper. Start, Start living like the rich person you are. The king of the universe is your father, and he's given you the inheritance of the kingdom in Christ Jesus. Amen? See those promises? That indwelling of the Spirit, it's strength for every temptation you will ever face. Every temptation you will ever face. Not a word of any good thing which He has promised shall fail to come to pass of all the good that the Lord has given to the house of Israel. And to you in Christ, to us in Christ, to me in Christ. So three wonderful truths. God is faithful. And he just gave Israel the land. They didn't have to battle for all of it. They fought some battles. But when it got down to the end, he simply gave it to them. It was a gift. Same thing's true for you. You need to believe by faith. You need to receive that faith. You need to walk in His grace and His mercy, but it's a gift. God gives it to you. God gave Israel the victory over all the enemies, and then He gave them rest. My peace, Jesus said, do I give you. Not peace as the world gives do I give you, but my peace I give you. That's rest. I can remember days when I was in my late teens, early 20s, backpacking through the high Sierras, laying down in the middle of some meadow, you know, 11,000 feet someplace in the Sierras. It's right at the tree line, and just looking up at the stars going, Your peace, God. You're, this is how you intended us to live. Staring at his creation. No strife. No agonizing over anything. Just laying there in the blessed rest of God and nodding off and, you know, waking up with drool on my face, you know, from just kind of... Just that rest, resting from the labors. And then finally, the third thing, God gives us and he keeps the promises he makes in his word. And he is faithful to the very last. That's why Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Uh, we don't, you know, God doesn't work how we work. He doesn't function how we function. Because the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. But it goes on in verse 11 to say, And so my word shall be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, but it will accomplish that which I please. It will go forth and do that for which I have sent it. That's the promise to us. It will prosper us. The Levites needed a place. They got a place. They needed cities of refuge. They had cities of refuge. They needed places to dwell. They had them. They needed a victory over their enemies. They got it. That was all based on God. It wasn't because they were awesome. It's because God is awesome. 
God is amazing. God is wonderful. The close of his life, you're going to see, and we're going to get there two more chapters. Joshua just give glory to God for everything that ever happened. It's a joy to be able to do that, folks. Makes you a really happy person. Because God is sufficient, even though we're not. God is good, even when we're not. And God gives us things we don't deserve when we don't deserve them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can trust your promises. And Lord, we pray tonight as we go to our homes. And Lord, if our heater isn't working, we still have blankets. Uh, If our dogs have chewed up one of our pillows, we probably still have more. Lord, we are blessed. Father, if we scrounge through our cupboards, we probably have enough food to last us for weeks. We may not find all the things that we like, but you have been so good to us. Uh, Even our bank accounts have so much more than we deserve in them. And so, God, we are just grateful as your people. Lord, help us to, to rest. Help us to trust. Lord, help us to claim. We thank you, God. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for blessing us. Thanks for beloving us, Lord. Putting on us all that love that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in his precious name we pray these things. Amen.